fellow travellers and welcome to podcast 100 in our series You Should Have Been There with me Simon Calder and me Mick Webb and as the applause dies away uh, I have to tell you Simon that we haven't received our telegram from the Queen but what we will be doing over the next 30 minutes is sharing with you some of our favourite moments from the previous 99 podcasts. And thanks very much to everybody for their very creative breakfast responses to our appeal last week. Of course, you can find every single one of the podcasts we put together at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. Indeed, you could even listen to them all and rank them in order of enjoyableness or not. We will be bringing you those breakfast responses uh, next week, but we really wanted to focus on that uh, magic 100 number, including, well, in my case, a couple of absolutely brilliant 100 mile journeys. Ah. Um, Can I take you, Mick, to Pitlochry in central Scotland? Never been there, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, the reason you should go there is because it is the start of a superb 100-mile bike ride, which I just about managed in a day. Wow. This follows the old track of the road to the north. Um, The new A9 replaces most of it. Um, it. It winds around the western side of the Cairngorms. Um, It then descends towards uh, the Murray Firth, takes a little detour around towards Culloden, and then finally drops you at Inverness, uh, well, (laughs) a roundabout outside a a leisure centre in Inverness. Um, But that that will do 100 miles. And if the wind is kind to you, uh, then that's good. The only really, really nasty bit is Dramocta Pass, where you are obliged to share the carriageway with um, quite a lot of traffic, but a complete joy for anybody who loves to cycle and likes a challenge. My other 100-mile journey, Mick, um, requires you to do nothing more demanding than look out of the window. This is a gorgeous 100-mile trans Wales Express journey. Of course, it's not actually that fast, but it starts at um, uh, Putheli, uh, which is on the Llyn Peninsula in northwest Wales, and then it curls around the coast almost all the time with superb views. It goes past Harlech Castle, uh, um, Aberduffy, it uh, trundles across a um, uh, 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 an old bridge. It's a superb thing, which then cuts inland, goes through McCunthleth, um, which is the home of the Centre for Alternative Technology, if you do want to hop off, and then um, right the way across to uh, Welshpool. Um, and if you wanted to, you could continue to England in the shape of Shrewsbury and Birmingham. But a really straightforward, really lovely trip on one of the UK's greatest railway lines. Well, that does sound very nice, and I certainly haven't done that. I haven't done the cycle uh, ride either, but it did occur to me that if I left my house here and cycled to Brighton and then came back again, that might well be about 100 miles, and I, gosh, the thought of doing that in a day is um, quite daunting. Well, off you go. Give it a go. Let us know how you get on next week. Don't hold your breath, I think is what they say. Um, But now it's my turn to unveil my uh, two favourite journeys involving the number 100. The first is a road. It's the 
D100 uh, in Croatia. Uh, and actually, it's a road that rather oddly connects two islands, the island of Kres, which uh, is pronounced Sres, and uh, Mali Loshin. Now, I have driven all 81 kilometres of the D100, and it really is fascinating. Um, I mean, it starts at uh, Porozina Ferry Port in the northwest of, of, of the island, where you can connect up with the uh, mainland of Croatia. Um, and then it takes you up on a narrow road to a ridge, and then down to Mali Loshin. Mm-hmm. And uh, the highlights on the way are views out over the Adriatic and uh, other Croatian islands, possibly a griffin vulture or two circling over you. Then there's the uh, uh, the very pretty little city of Tsres, which you see from above, and the even prettier village of Osor with medieval uh, walls, beyond which there's this uh, swing bridge that crosses a very narrow channel between Tsres and, and Loshin. And uh, when you get to uh, Loshin, the island is much greener than Tres, which is pretty kind of dry and scrubby. And uh, Loshin has a reputation for beneficial breezes and uh, and wellness holidays. And the D100 takes you to the capital, Mali Loshin, uh, where it stops. And there is what is reputed to be the most beautiful harbour in the Adriatic. It certainly is wonderful. It's uh, Venetian, I think, in, in, in origin. Uh, it sounds a joy, and I think possibly I'm more tempted with your uh, D100 um, than you are perhaps with my 100-mile journeys. But you've got another one. Ah, yes, this one is a bit more demanding. It's the GR100, uh, and the GR here stands for, uh, well, walkers might think it's the Grand Randonnée, the French classification of long-distance walks, but actually it's the Spanish version, the Gran Recorrido uh, 100, uh, and and it's one of the uh, lesser known, but I would say most interesting of the pilgrim routes to Santiago de Compostela. And it really is quite an undertaking. It's um, uh, 700 kilometers in 27 stages between the beautiful city of Seville and Astorga in uh, northern Spain, where you join up with the uh, with the much better known Camino Frances, the, the, the classic uh, uh, way of St. James, um, which you then have to do another 300 kilometers on to get to uh, Santiago de Compostela. So that is a thousand kilometers. Um, And the the GR100 is also called the Via de la Plata, the silver route, um, for various reasons connected with the Romans. And I must say, I really am tempted by it. It's uh, It would probably take about six to eight weeks uh, and some of the stages are very, very long indeed across some quite arid countryside, and it can be extremely hot. But uh, on on the uh, credit side, there aren't very many other people doing it. Um, it is waymarked. There are places to stay, and you pass through some of the most beautiful cities in Spain, uh, Merida, Cáceres, and Zamora, which really are um, a bit off the tourist track. So if you've got six to eight weeks uh, spare, um, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll happily invite you along to um, pay my way and possibly carry my pack. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for that. It sounds a bit, if I may, like a sociopath's version of the uh, much more celebrated uh, Camino de Santiago. Um, but I, I, I'm all in favour of, of, of uh, trying a bit of that. Uh, we have done quite well with 
some of our adventures. I mean, the only part of the Camino that we, uh, proper Camino, I think that we've ever done was right across the Pyrenees from um, Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port to Roncesvalles uh, in Spain, which um, from what I can see is absolutely the best day. So you pick the best day and I will um, I will come along and um, assist you with your luggage needs. Um, but meanwhile, um, well, this all this all started really. I've, I've been tra- tracing. Um, you should have been there back, and I can carbon date it to the third of May, twenty nineteen, when so long wow. ago our prime minister was somebody called Theresa May, and you wrote to me in an email. The idea of podcasting, maybe about it involving some quirky travel, could be great fun. Well, how wrong we have proved that to be. Uh, but but we. I, I have been um, looking back through the uh, the the archives, um, and they are all there for people to um, listen to and enjoy. September the sixth, twenty twenty. Um, uh, I liked the concept, which was your idea. Well, well, tell us how it arrived. You should have been three. Well, like some of the greatest uh, ideas in um, in. Uh, modern creativity. It was a mistyping. I was trying to write You Should Have Been There, which of course is the uh, title of our uh, great podcast. And instead, I wrote You Should Have Been Three. Uh, And then we realised that actually that was quite a good idea to look into because when we've been on our um, many jaunts, uh, usually as a twosome, uh, we've realised that particularly if you're up a mountain or in a jungle, uh, where there are some sort of threats to your personal safety, uh, it's a very good idea to have been three. So if one of you gets bitten or damaged in some way, then uh, uh, one person can stay with the injured party and the other one can go for help. Anyway, let's move on to our, our selections from the very best uh, moments, the recorded clips from the last two years, well, more than two years, actually, and take it in turns to pick a gem. And now I'm going to kick it off at where better than with the very first one, imaginatively entitled Borders, uh, from the 18th of October 2019. Hello fellow travellers and welcome to You Should Have Been There. It's a new podcast about travel and travellers' tales. And uh, with me to tell a few of them is the man who pays his way, Simon Calder. And with me is the producer, travel writer and polyglot. He speaks many languages, Mick Webb, who tries to get me to pay his way as well. We have travelled rather a lot together for work and pleasure. And despite that, we can still just about bear to talk to one another and indeed to you. We're going to kick off this first podcast by talking about frontiers, borders Um Something that I think you've crossed many times in in your uh, professional life. Uh, Well, I yes, of course, it's necessary and it's also exciting and it can be uh, very frustrating. But the great thing about almost all the frontiers I've ever seen is that they are ridiculously porous. And, for example, um, in some wilder parts of the world, their sole purpose is not to control the flow of people across um, borders from one country to another. Um, It's a job creation scheme. And given that you you and I have both been to some fairly sleepy uh, frontiers, we seem to be the entertainment. Oh, my word, what innocent pre-COVID days those were. Anyway, since then, we've tried to continue to be the entertainment all the way through a series of lockdowns. Um, I 
enjoyed particularly when we couldn't travel anywhere doing an episode on slow travel 22nd of june 2020 um this was all about uh, travel that's good for the soul and we spoke to graham hoyland who with his partner gina waggett have been walking through spring what slow travel means to me is being calm and careful and reflective The best slow journey I can recommend would be to walk with the season of spring. I did this once through England from south to north and spring goes up through the country at about two miles an hour. So you walk along with it and we would just sit in the verge and look at what was going on uh, and watch for 10 minutes. And after a a while you'd see a caterpillar crawling up a, a stem You might see a shrew appearing in amongst the roots. A bird will come and sit by your head, cock its head and adjust a feather. And none of those things would we have seen if we had driven past in a car. On the way, we planted an oak tree every mile. And at the end of the journey, we had 500 oak trees. And it was a very satisfying, slow journey. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, I like the idea of being calm and careful. And the way um, uh, Graham actually describes it actually really does uh, reflect, I suppose, what uh, slow travel is all about. And um, I'm very bad at slow travel. I generally find it um, extremely frustrating because I always seem to be late, partly because I seem to um, bite off uh, longer stretches of journey um, than I can chew. And I find it very hard to adjust. So to walk at two miles an hour and know that you are walking at the same speed as spring, I think is a wonderful idea. And a very inspirational thought as we waited for an incredibly long winter to end. Well, it's my go again, and I'm going to take you back two years, almost to the day, actually, uh, when we were due to record uh, a podcast about the stands, the uh, Central Asian Republic's And the plan was for you to um, uh, come to my house to record this. And uh, when you did arrive, I have to say rather late, um, you'd had a very difficult journey from not very distant Waterloo to Streatham um, involving an embarrassing incident on the train to Balham. Very sorry. Morning, Simon. Very nice to see you. Um, It's all been uh, quite a difficult journey. You and I have um, been across, well, kind of across the Darien Gap, but um, getting from Waterloo to Streatham has proved rather more challenging than that, I must say. We should explain that we're in the middle of the Stall Dennis travel disruption, which I didn't realise extended as far as the... um, uh, uh, washing facilities on the uh, on Southwestern Railway, but no, I uh, left Waterloo um, on time, and then thought I will take my take my ease. I think is the phrase. Oh, um, but no such then, luck. Well, no, and then then you find out exactly what happens when all the lights inside the loo go off, and there is nothing you can do. You can't open the door. You can't. You can try and kick the door down, and that's not going to work. In the end, you have to do which no something which no passenger ever wants to do, which is press the thing marked alarm, 
then all the trains apparently in the um, uh, South Western Railway earlier, um, in and out of the Britain's busiest station, Waterloo, are halted while a guard, and I did this, made sure it was at a station, comes along and finds out what the trouble is. Oh, no, so uh, yeah. it's an, oh, dear, what can the matter uh, be? Oh, dear, uh, what was the moment. matter? Yes. Or, or, well, look, I mean, we have full yeah. facilities here in my uh, uh, splendid uh, home. Come, and, come uh, and have a cup of tea and, uh, and a piece of toast, and then yes. we will um, go and talk <laughs> about um, the uh, Central Asian uh, republics, yes, which also I, known as the stands. The, the stands, which um, are considerably easier, I can now verify, having been to uh, Kazakhstan and many other stands en route to uh, Uzbekistan um, I can confirm that actually uh, reaching those is much easier than reaching <laughs> Balam on a Sunday <laughs> Well belatedly then uh, welcome fellow travellers Well we did go on to talk about the stands and you can hear all about them if you go back to podcast 10 I learned ever such a lot about, about these uh, uh, strange and, and, and very contrasting um, republics. And at the time, I, I was minded, as people say, to um, to uh, pay a visit to uh, Kazakhstan. But uh, that sadly is uh, rather off limits these days, isn't it? Uh, it, it is rather, but um, uh, things can only get better. But despite the increasingly tricky geopolitical situation worldwide, you can have lots of fun with geopolitics, as Mick has demonstrated um, with his marvellous uh, and probably globally recognised Christmas quiz that he compiles, and which traditionally, I think I can say that, um, I enjoy with Lynn Hughes, founding editor of Wonderlust magazine. This is the Christmas 2020 edition. So here we go with the next round, which is called Green Travel. Ah. Um, yes. What country's current flag has the most green in it? Hmm. Bit of a guess. Is it Saudi? You're absolutely right. That's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Saudi Arabia, well done, Lynn. Um, the only green one I could think of. <laughs> uh, Saudi, of course, um, uh, now on the travel corridor list uh, with a very, very easy and accessible online visa. But, of course, um, an absolutely terrible human rights record. Well, yes, thank you um, indeed. Um, now, I am actually supposed to be going to Saudi in early February. Well, I, I hope you manage to get there and, and I'm sure you will respect the flag, which is 91.6% green, um, as distinct from Turkmenistan, 83.5%, Bangladesh, 79%, and Zambia, 74.6%. Okay, next question. Uh, this city has been awarded the accolade of Greenest City 2021 by the EU, which you could think of as jumping the gun. It's called LATI, L-A-H-T-I. What country is it in? I, I, I'm going to guess Finland, but only because it sounds like a Finnish, Finnish construction. It might be in Estonia. Oh, it is Finland. Um, I'm going to say well done. Uh, I'm going to give the most difficult bonus point yet for um, guessing what the main attraction of Lati is, other than its um, green credentials. Santa Claus? No. Lynn, do you want to guess? <laughs> It's, 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 it's not immediately obvious. No idea. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. It's a motor, motorcycle museum. Ah, 
Uh, uh, was that the sound of you adding that to your list of must-visit places for 2021? <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. <clears throat> maybe not. No. Um. Okay. Um. This next uh, question is about Graham Greene. Um, in 1936, the great writer um, wrote a travel book called Journey Without Maps. Uh, do you know which country he was traveling to? Or around, rather? Oh. Uh, it's it's uh, quite difficult, this one. It begins with L. Liberia. Oh, sorry, Liberia. Very, very good. Very good. Uh, th- yep, yeah, no, I'll give you that, even though um, the... Uh, yeah, your gong. Um, my go- my <laughs> your gong was delayed. For a moment. I missed it. As a footnote to that round of the quiz, I should say that uh, Graham Greene's book is, in fact, Journey Without Maps, a uh, um, a travel account of his three hundred and fifty mile four week walk through the interior of Liberia in nineteen thirty five. That sounds like slow travel, rewarding travel, but travel that was completely off our map during the COVID pandemic and those lockdowns. Um, I was lucky enough to get to Barnard Castle put on the map as somewhere as a good venue for a drive to see if your eyesight was working properly. And um, gosh, only on the 29th of March last year, I was on the very first overnight bus to leave Manchester for London um, at one minute past midnight to the day that uh, travel restrictions were were eased. Um, uh, in a bid to kind of get our horizons broadened, though, we did start the concept, I think you did this, of, um, of going faster, higher, stronger with the Travel Olympics, um, comparing, for example, great Asian countries such as China against Japan for their travel value. And that's quite appropriate, really, with the uh, uh, the Winter Olympics uh, starting in China at the moment. But uh, my favourite of these head-to-heads was uh, the island of Shetland, where you were, against the island of Zante, where uh, Julia Lobwe Said was at the time of the recording. And she's the chief executive of the Advantage Travel Partnership. The idea was to compare and contrast different aspects of these two very different islands, like the food, the weather and the beaches. It is fair to say that the beaches here are more beautiful. The sand is more white. The water is more turquoise than anywhere else in Europe and quite possibly also the Caribbean. It is uh, they are absolutely glorious beaches. Yeah. What you won't find of, any of is um, <laughs> anybody um, swimming. Um, although I did see some kayaks, kayakers oh. earlier today. So <laughs> yes, warmth you would you wouldn't get. Um, did, but you, so you haven't actually been. You haven't immersed yourself. No, in I mean the, technically in, in, no. In the, in the but city. I've eaten plenty of plenty of uh, of, of previous exactly. occupants of of, of the. Um, uh, wild seas up here. There we are. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing very, very well defending defending the place, and it sounds absolutely beautiful. But I have to say, I would rather spend my summer holiday in Santa yes. Simon. Well, look, um, unless unless Simon, have you got any more to? Um... Uh, no, I, I think all I can do is gracefully concede defeat and say that um, <laughs> Shetland has many charms, but perhaps um, as a summer holiday destination. Zante has a few more. So thank you, Julia. An absolute pleasure to hear how life is there. And um, I look forward to getting there um, 
it's going to take me almost as long, I think, to get back to um, uh, mainland Britain as it is you. But uh, uh, I, I look forward to um, heading south soon. The cicadas accompanying Julia as she went off for her meze supper on the island of Zante. And for more sound effects, you need only revisit Podcast 17, one of my favourites, Poetry in Motion, which actually began with the parakeets that were in your back garden in Streatham. Anyway, we featured some great works such as The Road Less Travelled by Robert Frost, uh, my favourite, um, Adelstrop by Edward Thomas, uh, which begins, yes, I remember Adelstrop, the name, because one afternoon of heat, the express train drew up there unwontedly. It was late June. But then you added to the travel poetry genre with some of your own work. The journey to Old Vilcabamba involved quite a mountainous clamber. For a bit of a kick, and to stop feeling sick, we chewed coca leaves. Quite a few grams, sir. The journey to Old Vilcabamba entailed a serious clamber. In the ruins we found, buried deep in the ground, a flute with a most mournful timbre. Well, they don't make them like that anymore, do they? Um, I must say that took me a great deal of time to uh, come up with, um, partly because of the difficulty of finding uh, a rhyme for um, Vilcabamba, which was the uh, Inca site, the very last city of the Incas, actually, which you and I um, trekked to uh, some decades ago. (laughs) Yes. I wonder what uh, Robert Frost would have made of rhyming Vilcabamba with quite a few grams, sir. (laughs) Well, next week, we are going to take you into Room 101 for Podcast 101 as we explore ours and, I hope, yours deepest travel fears. And of course, you can let us know what they are by going to anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there and leaving us a message or indeed on Twitter at you should have BT. So while I start pondering my deepest travel fears from me, Simon Calder. And from me, Mick Webb, accompanied by my parakeets. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.